0: Okay, let's pray. And let's ask God to meet us in the word this morning. So good to be back in Isaiah this morning, Lord. I'm thrilled about this passage, and I I pray I need your help, Lord. Would you help me to just have the heart that this passage calls for amazing truths about who you are? And so help me And I pray that you'd be working powerfully in each of our hearts. This is a life-changing message that you give to us here. This is an amazing message. Lord, if we could get this, if I could get this more, if each of us could get this more, our lives would never be the same, our neighborhoods would not be the same, our marriages would not be the same, parenting, workplace, this world. So, Father, for For our great good and for your great glory, would you work in our hearts through this message, through this passage right now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 55. Like I said, I am thrilled to be back into Isaiah. What a powerful book. And this morning is a powerful passage. We're just going to cover verses 1 through 3 this morning. I thought we might do the whole chapter, just couldn't do it unless you want to be here until 2 or 3 o'clock this afternoon, so we thought we would do part 2 on chapter 55 next week. Turn to Isaiah 55 now. If you need a Bible, we want you all to have one so that you can study this passage with us. So be bold, raise your hands, we'll bring one to you in the Bibles we're passing out. Isaiah 55 on page 615, 615 in the Bibles we're passing out. Now let me just put this passage kind of in the the context of this section in Isaiah. Here's some background, just to give you some, some background. Throughout Israel's history, Israel, nation of Israel, people of God, throughout their history in the Old Testament, God was flawlessly faithful to them. Whenever they would turn to him, he would satisfy them. When they would call upon him, he would deliver them. When they were in need and looked to him, he would provide their needs. God was perfectly faithful to them throughout their history. But they were not faithful to God throughout their history. Time and again, they turned their backs on God and bowed to idols and did horrifying things, dishonoring God, messing up their lives, harming people repeatedly throughout their history. Here's a beautiful picture of God's love and mercy for them. He sent prophets to them again and again and again. And the prophets with tears said, turn back to God. Turn back to God or judgment will come. God's calling you to come back to him. If you don't, punishment will come again and again and again. And Israel just shined him, just said, no. No and kept turning their backs on God, bowing down to idols, and finally, in the year 586 B.C., God raised up Babylon to come and conquer Jerusalem, destroy the temple, thousands were killed, and those who who survived were taken in chains as slaves back to Babylon to be living in exile there. So here's the setting. Imagine, I'm sorry, before I get there, so, What's beautiful is, here's another picture of God's mercy. Isaiah chapters 40 through 66 were written, given to Isaiah by God to be read specially by those Israelites who were in exile in Babylon to give them encouragement there. Don't you love that about God? Mercy, mercy mercy, slow to anger abounding in steadfast love and here's another picture of it, so Isaiah 40-66 through 66, given by God to be an encouragement to those who are in Babylon in the exile so imagine that you were there in Babylon in exile and how you'd feel knowing that your sin had contributed to Jerusalem being destroyed, the temple being destroyed, thousands being killed and bringing you there with other, uh, other people of God in exile in Babylon chains and slaves, imagine how you'd feel But then imagine how you would be encouraged opening up and and reading Isaiah chapter 40, for example, where God says, comfort my people. (laughs) Comfort my people. And then Isaiah 44, where God says, I'm going to raise up Cyrus in Babylon, and he is going to send you, the nation of Israel, back to the promised land, and he's going to help you to rebuild Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. Imagine how encouraging that would have been. And imagine how encouraging it would have been to read in Isaiah 53 that you could be completely forgiven for your sins because of the Messiah God would send in the future, past for us now in the year 2011, future for them in 586 B.C., Jesus Christ who was punished in our place for our sins so we could be completely forgiven by trusting in him. So think of the encouragement that would have come. So Isaiah 40 through 66 written especially to be read by those Israelites in exile in Babylon. And so chapter 55 is part of that encouragement. And look at what God says to Israel and to us. We know that, like Paul said, everything in the Old Testament was also written for us today, New Testament church. So here we are. Let's look at what God is saying to us in Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 3. Come. He says, everyone who thirsts come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me, God says, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. So, who is God talking to in these verses? Let's start there. And in verse one, you can see it. He's talking to everyone who thirsts. Now, it's clear from these verses that he doesn't talk about. He's not talking about physical thirst. He's talking about heart thirst. And the reality is, toddle through the Bible that we all have heart thirsts for joy, for peace for satisfaction, we all have heart thirst, I mean is there anybody here who doesn't thirst for joy, for peace, for heart satisfaction, I didn't think so, okay, so we all have heart thirst, but now if we're honest, we'll admit that nothing in the world has brought us the joy, the peace, the satisfaction that we crave, nothing in the world has brought it to us, The things in the world bring us some level of pleasure, some level of satisfaction, small and partial, but not full joy, peace, satisfaction, not lasting joy, peace, and satisfaction. So all of us in this room, because of the things in the world, they don't satisfy us. By them, we're left thirsty. So who's God talking to in this chapter? You and me talking to everybody in Israel who's thirsty. He's talking to all of us who are thirsty. That's who he's talking to. And so what does he call us to do with our heart thirsts? See, too many people think that, that the God of the Bible uh, is against joy or peace or satisfaction. Or too many people think the God of the Bible calls us to ignore our heart thirsts. Or deny our heart thirsts, or squelch our heart thirsts in somewhere. Like like God's like nervous if we seek our joy or our satisfaction or peace too much. Not the case. Look again at verses 1 through 3. Look at what he says. This is God speaking. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come. Buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. So what does God call us to do with our heart thirsts? Did you catch that here in this passage? Verse 1. He says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He's inviting you to come to the waters so there is some kind of water somewhere that you with your heart thirsts can come to and have your heart thirst quenched. you see that? There is water. If you're heart thirsty for joy and for peace and for satisfaction, there is water available for you. Where? The answer is in verse 3. Incline your ear, God says, and come to me. and don't miss that. In verse 1, thirsty hearts are invited to come to the water. In verse 3, thirsty hearts are invited to come to God himself. Verse 1, come to water. Verse 3, come to God himself. What is the water? God. God himself is the water, the living water that will satisfy your heart thirst. God is the water. So God does not call us to ignore or quench or, I mean, ignore or squelch or deny our heart thirst. God is calling us to satisfy our heart thirsts in Him, in who He is. He's calling us, bring your heart thirsts and drink of the living water of who I am and you will be completely satisfied. Now here's a, here's a quote. Most of you know, one of my head, eh, heroes is Jonathan Edwards. Okay, got Jonathan up here. Jonathan Edwards, early 1700s, was a missionary to the American Indians and here's, here's just a quote he says to describe this. Again, this isn't scripture, but I think he encapsulates what is taught in scripture very helpfully here. Listen to this. God is the highest good of the reasonable creature and the enjoyment of him is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. I was just reading this over again yesterday, I thought, the enjoyment of him. Do you know and have you experienced what it means to enjoy God When you read about the enjoyment of God, are you thinking, wow, what's that? Have you enjoyed God? The enjoyment of God, seeing Him, beholding Him, worshiping Him, fellowshipping with Him, reading about Him, experiencing His very presence through the truths of God's Word. The enjoyment of God is the only, the only happiness With which our souls can be satisfied. Now, if if we get this, this is revolutionary for us, church. I thought that I, I need to cut this out. Again, this isn't scripture, this is just Jonathan Edwards, okay? But doesn't that teach what the Bible teaches? The enjoyment of him is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. You need to hear that this morning. There's good news, there is a joy. By which your heart can be completely satisfied. It's in God Himself, knowing God. Now let me show you some other scriptures to back this up. So what I'm seeing in Isaiah 55, 1 through 3 is that God calls us: bring your heart thirsts to me, and I promise your heart thirsts will be satisfied completely, fully, and lastingly in me. Now let me give you some other scriptures to back this up. Look at Psalm 63. Verses five and six. It's page four hundred and seventy-nine in the Bibles we passed out. Psalm sixty-three, verses five and six. I would encourage you to memorize Psalm sixty-three. Very helpful to ponder and to pray over. Psalm sixty-three, five and six. Look at what David wrote in these verses. He's talking about his own personal heart experience. This isn't just some theory. Here's David, real man, real stumblings real passion for God, here's what he experienced. Verse five, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Okay, so what's he talking about here? There was times in David's life at night, he was in bed, he hasn't drifted off to sleep yet, and he would remember God. He would think about God. He would meditate on who God is. He would ponder God and worship God and fellowship with God. And when he would do that, there were times when his soul was so satisfied that it would be like a hungry man eating fat and rich food. Yum! Okay, that's just the delicacies, all right? And his mouth then would start praising God with joyful lips this made me think about the first time I ever experienced something like this. 1972. Okay? Fall of 1972. A couple of weeks earlier, I had turned away from the other things I was trusting to satisfy me, had, had asked Jesus to save me, change me, forgive me, satisfy me, lead me, guide me, and, and he, he brought about a change. And one night, senior in high school, I was just praying and thanking Christ for who he was, who he is, and, and what he'd done. And that very act of thanking him and worshiping him and just beholding him, I just started to weep for joy in who he was. He made himself so real to me that I was just weeping with joy that night. And that, that's what David's experiencing here. David brought his heart thirst to God, meditated upon God, remembered who God was, and his soul was satisfied. Some of you listen to this. When was the last time your soul was completely satisfied? Full, peace, everything's good. It doesn't depend upon this happening or that happening. Because of God, that's what you can experience, okay? Psalm 63. Now look at Psalm 73. A couple pages to the right. This is page 486. I read this verse in our home group Wednesday night, and it just, I feel like I've got to share it with all of us on Sunday morning, because it, it's, a, again, a, this is Asaph, uh, what's the guy? Asaph wrote this, different guy. But he shares what he experienced being satisfied in God. Psalm 73, 25, and 26. He says, y'all got that? Psalm 73, 25, and 26. Page 486 in the Bibles we just passed out. He's talking to God. Whom have I in heaven but you? You're there, reality in heaven. And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. This is his experience. He's really experienced. He's not just like writing, this is how I ought to be. This is what I'm experiencing right now. Whom have I in heaven but you? You're there. And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. Now, I get, look, keep reading the verse and I'll come back to what I was going to say. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So Asaph, just like David, knew what it was to bring his thirsts to God, to worship God to behold God, to fellowship with God, and he experienced God so satisfying him that he said, there's nothing on earth I desire besides you right now. Now just think about it. How filled and satisfied would Asaph have needed to be in order to have that be his true heart experience? Completely filled and satisfied, right? Have you had times where because God is so satisfying your soul with himself, that you can say this verse, there's, there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Not that we don't care about people, we don't care about you know, things, under, we, we have responsibilities and we care, but we are freed from living for those things, from being enslaved by those things because we're being completely satisfied in who God is. One other verse, this is from Jesus, John chapter 6, verse 35. John 6.35, page 892 in the Bibles we passed out. So Do you get what's going on here? We all have heart thirsts for joy, for peace, for satisfaction. And God doesn't tell us, get over it, or deny that, or ignore that, or squelch that. He says, bring that to me. To me. And I will satisfy you in me, who I am. And Jesus says the exact same thing here in John 6.35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And he's talking about heart hungers and thirsts. Jesus is the bread of life. And if we will come to him and trust him, behold him, Depend upon Him. Bend the knee before Him. We will never hunger and thirst. Whenever we do that, He'll satisfy us with who He is. But now there's a problem. Okay? We all have heart hungers and thirsts. God says, bring them to me. In Jesus Christ, I will completely satisfy your heart hungers and thirsts. But the problem is, what have we all done with our heart? Thirsts. What have we all done? Back to Isaiah chapter 55. Okay, back to the left. That's page 615 again. In the Bibles we passed out. What have we all done with our heart thirsts? Look at what God says. Verse 2. Isaiah 55, verse 2. He says, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? That's what we've all done. God's there, ready to satisfy us, and we've all pursued things that can't satisfy us, that don't satisfy us, that won't satisfy us. Why? Just picture God. Why? Why do you spend your money, your effort, your energy, your resources for that which is not bread? Why? And your labor for that which does not satisfy Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Again, so we all have heart hungers and thirsts that can only be satisfied in God Himself. But instead of bringing our heart hungers and thirsts to God, we've pursued things that never will be able to satisfy us and that never have, never will, can't satisfy us. Now, let me give you a picture. I want to give you kind of a visual aid so that you can. I hope remember this a little bit more clearly, okay, so just bear with me here. Let me get this all set up. I hope this will be helpful. Okay, all right, okay, so here you are with heart thirsts and hungers, and this is all of reality, everything else is right here okay you 've got heart hungers, and then here 's God and with your heart hungers, it's like... Okay, we've got a we got cheeseburger here. Okay, and we've got a chocolate milkshake here. And we've got, we got fries here. Okay, so if you're a hungry person, this is like God to you. Okay? Now, if you don't like In-N-Out, bear with me, all right? I'm sorry. <laughs> Best thing I could think of. All right, so so... Oh, my goodness, all right. Okay, so here you are. You've got heart hungers and thirsts, and if, if you're it's like if you're a hungry person, God is to you like internet hamburger and a chocolate milkshake and fries, and everything else. This is everything else in the universe is like gravel. Okay. All right. So here we are. Now, if you take your heart hungers and thirsts to God. I'm just it's a little bit cold, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> you'll be satisfied. Just like if you're hungry, you want to be in and out, or you know wherever you want to go, whatever food grabs you. If you take your heart, hungers, and thirsts to God, you'll eat real food, and you'll be satisfied, right? But now what have we all done? God says, why would you do this? We've all turned our backs on God. We... We want to call the shots to our own lives. Thank you. I don't want to bend my knee to my creator. I want to, you know, carve my own way, do it my way. And so we've all turned and we have pursued heart hungers and thirsts trying to eat gravel. Okay? And of course, it doesn't satisfy us at all. So now let's just get real tangible here. Some of you have pursued your heart satisfaction in money. Okay? In money. Uh, you find security checking out your 401k, or maybe you don't anymore, I don't know, but you, you, uh, you know, you think about the, the thoughts of making more money and what you're gonna buy and the security that you're gonna have. And I wanna tell you what that is. Now, there's nothing, nothing wrong with money, okay? But what's wrong is to seek your heart's satisfaction in money. Because money will never satisfy you. Money is this. It will never satisfy your heart. It hasn't yet. And it won't, ever. Only God will satisfy you. We've got to see this. Money will not satisfy. Only God will satisfy. And so if you are bringing your heart thirsts to money, it's like you're a hungry person eating gravel. That's what you're doing. Okay, others, maybe it's not money, sexual pleasure in our culture today big, huge issue, many, many people, advertisements, the whole thing, this is what's going to really satisfy you, and sexual pleasure is an awesome gift from God for marriage, okay, I'm so thankful for sexual pleasure with my wife, okay, marriage, man and woman, it's a gift from God, he gave it to us, expression of his love, nothing wrong with sexual pleasure in marriage, man and woman, husband and wife, but sexual pleasure will never satisfy your soul, it won't, only God will satisfy your soul, okay? He gives us good gifts like sexual pleasure to show who he is, so we enjoy, thank you, Lord, and you are awesome. We're satisfied, right? But you see, if you're seeking your heart satisfaction in porn or sexual pleasure in some other way, you're like a hungry person who's, who's eating gravel. Got that? This is a huge issue. Um, others of you maybe, I don't know, we can seek our heart satisfaction in television, right, or in career, or uh, achievements, or friends, or what else? What have I left off here? Sports. Sports, okay, working out, whatever it might be. Again, there's nothing wrong with those things. There's nothing wrong with those things, okay? But if you seek your heart's satisfaction in those things, that's wrong because none of those will ever satisfy. Only God will satisfy. So if you seek your heart's satisfaction in friends, and we love friends, I love, I love friends. Okay, but if I seek my heart's satisfaction in you, I will destroy you. You don't know what you're tangling with. I've got so many needs. I'll suck you dry. You'll be left an empty carcass. Okay, all right. I will. Some of you know. I tried try anyway. We love friendships. But friendships are destroyed, just like every good gift of God is destroyed when we turn it into a means of satisfying our hearts. That's called idolatry. TV, friends, career's a good thing, until you try to get your heart satisfied in pursuing career. Okay? Achievements are good things, as long as you're trying to get your heart satisfied in achievements. So if you're here with your heart hungry... And you're trying to get your heart satisfied with friends, or TV, or entertainment, or achievements, or career, or sports, or whatever. You're like a hungry person who's eating gravel. Now, I want you to feel how, I mean, one tragedy about that, again, here you are, heart hungers, this is all of reality before you. There's God who can satisfy your heart fully and lastingly, and there's everything else right here. And because we've pursued this, God says, why do you do this? Because we do this, we're all left empty. That's a tragic thing, tragic thing. That's why there's racism, that's why there's wars, that's why there's greed, that's why this world is so messed up. Okay, But even worse than the fact that we're left empty, I want you to feel what a cosmic abomination it is for God to create us Gives us life, gives us bodies, gives us this earth to live in. For him to reveal himself to us through creation, and even more clearly through his son, Jesus Christ. And say, I've created you to have your heart satisfied in knowing me, worshiping me, loving me. Look at all I've given you. I'm God. I'm creator. Here's your life. Here's me. And we all say, no. I want to call the shots myself. I want to make my own life. And we all turn our backs on him and pursue other things, make other things into our idols. That is a cosmic wrong, wickedness, abomination. And because God is, is righteous and perfectly holy and just, we have to be punished for it. Punishment is required because of God's perfect justice and righteousness because of this, this cosmic wickedness that we've all been involved in. So, this raises another question. And that is, is, is there something that we need to do then before we come back to God? If, if I'm facing God's just punishment because of the, the wrong of making his creation into an idol and turning my back on him and worshiping something else besides him, if that's wrong... Is there something I need to do before I can come back to God? Like, do I need to go to confession? Do I need to, like, like start going to church a little bit before you come back to God? Or maybe have a week where you just are really, really working on being good, and then you can come back to God. Is there something else we need to do to to kind of make things up so we can, between us and him, so we can come back to him? What must we do before we can come back to God? The answer is in verse 1. And the answer is nothing. Okay, read verse 1 again. It's kind of strange language. Look at what he's saying here. He says come everyone who thirsts come to the waters and he who has no money come buy and eat that's strange come buy wine and milk without money and without price see how strange that language is that's really puzzling this water and wine and milk Needs to be bought. A price has to be paid if you're going to receive it. Okay? But we buy it without money and without price. So what's God saying here? Here's what he's saying. Because of our sin in turning our backs on God, there is a price of justice and punishment that has to be paid if we are going to be able to come back to God. A price has to be paid. God's just. All sin must be punished. No sin will remain unpunished. So there is a punishment that must be be paid. Okay, But we saw back in Isaiah chapter 53, a few weeks ago, that the Messiah, Jesus, who God would send, pays this price, dying on the cross. So there is a price that must be paid, but if we are trusting Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord and our treasure, then he has paid the price for us. Our sin must be punished. But if we're trusting him, then it was punished when the Father poured his wrath out upon Jesus, the Son. And he was punished in our place. So what do you need to do, you, me, as people who've sinned, what do we need to do before we can come back to God? Just come trusting Jesus. Come. You don't need to try to be good enough. You don't need to try to get your you know your righteousness built up. You don't need to make yourself look a little bit better in God's eyes. You just come trusting Jesus. Jesus paid it all. Like the hymn says: all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. (laughs) Okay, so now this is how the Christian life begins. Just kind of picture it. Some of you maybe have never come to the place in your life where you really took Jesus Christ seriously. And I'm praying that God's working in your heart right now. So here's how the Christian life begins, okay? It starts with you turning from the things you used to trust to satisfy you. You turn from those things, and you turn to God as revealed in Jesus Christ. You trust Jesus as your Lord, your Savior, your treasure. You say, help me, save me, change me, forgive me, satisfy me. And the moment that you turn to Jesus and you're turning from this to him, the moment that you do that, you're completely forgiven. Completely forgiven. Clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness. And God goes to work, starts to change your heart. the, The pull of those things starts to lessen. He's changing your heart. And there will be times as you trust him and as you walk with him and as you seek him and as you worship him, that he will so pour his presence out upon you that you will be completely satisfied To overflowing, and you'll be able to say, "I'm so satisfied. Besides you, I desire nothing on earth. I'm free. I'm full. I love you. You're awesome." That's how you begin the Christian life. Now, that's also how you continue the Christian life. Okay? Because of our, you know, indwelling sin, when we're saved, we're changed, but we don't become sinless until the new heavens and the new earth. So there's still indwelling sin in us. Because of my indwelling sin, I too often turn back to seeking my heart satisfaction in other things. You've done it this week too. I mean, just ask yourself the question, where do you turn when you're feeling empty? Where do you go? What do you look to? Okay, I stumble on that, you stumble on that. Okay, so... The way you live the Christian life then is by turning from the other things that you've been pursuing to satisfy your heart and you turn back to Jesus Christ and you say, forgive me. I'm back. Help me. And as you come into his presence, you're completely forgiven for all your sins and he goes to work and starts to change your heart and the desires that are pulling you towards those things start to lessen. And there will be times as you seek him, as you pray, as you fellowship with him, as you walk with him, when he will so pour his love into your heart that you'll be completely satisfied. And again, like David said, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips and I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. There will be times where your soul is completely satisfied in God. So this is how we begin the Christian life, turning from these things, putting our trust in Christ. This is how we continue to live the Christian life, turning from these things and turning to Christ to trust Him as our, our all-satisfying treasure. So, Wednesday morning, this last Wednesday morning, I got up, did my usual, you know, got my tea, sat down, opened up my Bible back at my desk, read the scriptures for a while, you know, prayed with the scriptures for a while, but I just realized I was uh, discouraged and I was empty. I was kind of in a mess Wednesday morning, okay? And so as I prayed, I just realized uh, the reason I'm discouraged and empty is because I've been, see, whenever you're discouraged and empty, isn't this the truth? It's because there's something you've been relying on for your satisfaction and security that is failing you. Right? So there's something that i had been relying on for my security and satisfaction that was failing me. Now guess who that isn't, who that never is? God. Are you tracking with me? Okay, so I was discouraged, I was feeling empty, and it just, it just dawned on me what, I, what I'd been trusting in, what I'd been looking to, relying on for my, my heart. Satisfaction, so I just needed to turn back to Jesus and say, Forgive me. Help me. And I just, I think it's just the Holy Spirit. I just started to talk to the Lord Jesus about who he, who he is. Okay? You've always been. Third person of the Trinity, there's Father, Son, that's you, Jesus, Holy Spirit. You've always been in the fellowship of the Trinity. All things were created through you, and all things were created for you. You are the infinite glory of the entire universe. The Father has chosen to have his glory displayed through Jesus the Son. And you came to earth 2,000 years ago, were born of a virgin, and you grew up and you, you taught in such a way that the religious leaders were just stumped. They were stunned into silence. They had nothing to say. You were just brilliant. And you had compassion on a widow whose only son had just died, and you raised him from the dead. Just stuff like this. You fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. You, you spoke word and blind Bartimaeus's eye was, was healed. You calmed a storm. You, and then you set your face to go to Jerusalem. And it's like Paul says in Galatians 2.20, you loved me. And you gave yourself up for me. You died on the cross to pay for my sins. And then you rose from the dead. And now you're in heaven. You're going to come back and wipe every tear from my eyes. So I was just reflecting on, on who Jesus is. See, it's not what he does, although he does wonderful things. There's does wonderful things for us. But it's not what he does. Those don't satisfy you. It's who he is that satisfies you. And so beholding who Jesus Christ was, suddenly I, I looked at my heart and I said, Whoa. Because the the emptiness was gone and the the discouragement was gone. And there was peace and there was joy and there was was fullness. Okay, now. What does this mean for us? Let me just ask you, where have you been this past week? Okay? So here's you with an empty, thirsting heart. And this is all of reality. The whole universe is right here on this table. Okay? There's God... Are all-satisfying treasure, and then there's everything else which can't satisfy us at all. So where have you been this last week? I mean, just be, be brutally honest with yourself, okay? Have you this past week been bringing your heart thirsts to God as revealed in Jesus Christ? Or have you been bringing your heart thirsts to thousands of other things that are out there? Okay? Honestly, this past week, what have you been doing where have you turned when you've been angry or empty or discouraged, frustrated? Where have you turned? So there's really three things I'm, I'm praying God will impress upon us as we wrap up here. First, what was the first? How do I put it? Yeah, just understand why you're thirsty. Okay, so if if, if your heart if, if you're thirsty, the reason you're thirsty is because you've been here. Okay, you're hungry, you're thirsty because you you've been seeking your heart satisfaction is something besides Jesus Christ. Okay, that's why. That, that's why you've been thirsty. Now you may say, well, no, it's because work's really tough. Or because what this person did to me. No! Listen, Jesus Christ is so amazing that no matter what's going on at work or no matter what they do to you, you can be full and free. You understand that? Free in all that he is to you. That's not what's going on. That's not why you're thirsty. Okay? It's because you've been seeking your heart thirst in something that was never going to satisfy you. So see why you're thirsty. Okay? Get that. Just dial that in really clearly. And then, second, understand what Jesus offers. Because he stands before you, speaking to you through Isaiah 55, and he says, Come. Everyone who is thirsty. Come to the waters. Come to me, Jesus would say. So bold, so clear. He's God. He didn't mince words. I'm the bread of life. There's no other bread in the universe. I'm the bread of life. By the way, if you, if you try to be spiritual or try to connect with God apart from being, it being through Jesus, do you see now why you could never do that? Why that will never work? you understand why? It's because of the sin. It's because of your sin. You need a savior. You need someone who paid the price that you deserve to pay, a punishment in hell forever. Jesus paid that. So the only way you can come to God and drink is to go through Jesus. That's why he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to God the Father except through me. But understand what Jesus offers. So he, Jesus offers heart-satisfying love and His presence and beholding His glory and worship. He will forgive you. He will change your heart. He will help you. He will guide you. He will provide for you. But most importantly, He will satisfy you. So you've been thirsty. Understand what Jesus offers to you. Okay? Get that clearly. And then come to Him and drink and feast. Come to Him. Like right now. Some of you maybe have never... Have never come to Jesus Christ meaningfully. Maybe you went forward to a meeting and maybe that didn't, maybe it wasn't really real. Maybe it didn't really mean anything. Maybe it wasn't, wasn't what we're talking about here. Um, You know, maybe you've gone to church though a lot. But see, you can do all those things and not come to Jesus Christ, turning from the other things you used to trust to satisfy you and coming to Jesus Christ alone. So if you've never come to Him before, come to Him right now. Right now. You can come to Him right now. It's like, well, what do I need to do to be good enough to come? Remember that one? What's the answer? Nothing. 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 He's good enough. We bring our sin and junk to the table. Oh, but that's so humbling. Yes. Yes, it's humbling. And then it's exhilarating when he, you see him running towards you, ready to have a barbecue with a fattened calf. Luke 15, right? Okay, others of you, uh, maybe you've walked with Christ but recently you've really been, you know, feeding over here? Or maybe you've just been trying to live the Christian life and you've never really understood this dimension of it? How can you live the Christian life without that dimension of it? I mean, how would you live the Christian life this way? Listen, friends, this is the Christian life. It's war. In my sinfulness, I get, I get drawn to this garbage, Okay? Jesus Christ is there to satisfy, and so if you already know Christ, I just want to encourage you, what do you need to turn from, turn from those other things that you've sought for your heart satisfaction? What do you need to turn from so you can turn to Him to be your all-satisfying treasure? So I want to, I want to call you this morning to come to Jesus Christ. Turn from the other things and come to Him. Now let's stand together. And I want to ask, uh, Dave's going to come on up and lead us, and I just want to encourage you, if you, in a tangible, it's helpful to do things tangibly oftentimes, and so if you'd like to come up here and kneel up here or be up here, if you if you're want to come to Jesus Christ in a fresh way, do it now. Just come on up, we'll have people here to pray for you, Dave's going to lead us, but let me pray over us first. Lord, I ask that right now, I mean, we know, Lord, nothing's going to happen unless you're here working. We're lost without your work and you love to bring your work when we ask you for help. And so I pray that you'd come right now. And I just pray that many people in this room right now, you by the work of your spirit would convict them of the things they've been trying to feed on, the gravel they've been chewing on. Help them to see it and to feel it. And then to see the exhilaration of knowing that there's you and you offer forgiveness and heart change and heart satisfaction full and lasting through Jesus Christ. So Lord, I pray that you'd come right now and just all through this room touch people. Help, help each of us to see the things we tend to go to besides you and in a fresh way right now to turn to you. To turn to you. So as Dave leads us now, just come on up, be here, kneel, pray. Let's just do deep, heartfelt business with God right now this morning. Mercy Hill. Let's do that.